I was listening to, obviously, everyone speak and enjoying it completely. Um, and I was trying to think just about the subject of magnetism and the growing, slowly growing and ever-deepening understanding of what magnetism really is and the part it plays in our successes and in our failures and in the overall success of Ananda. And I was remembering many lessons and experiences I've had with Swami Kriyananda, and I thought I might just start at the beginning and see how far I can get. I remember in the very early years of Ananda, when you know it was, the community was much more rugged than it is now, when I went to Pune last year and saw the community there, it was, it was so um, evocative of the first decade of life here. Um, I found it thrilling every day looking down at my red, dirt-coated feet and trudging up and down the hills and just seeing how overwhelmingly impossible the physical reality of it was and remembering, we've been there, we did it, can be done again, looking into the face of people who looked just like I know we all looked in that first decade and became quite certain that it could be done. Well, during those years, we practiced a lot of what we still call kamikaze karma yoga, which was just, we were working all the time. And we meditated, of course, but it wasn't as if we had the leisure to meditate, even to the present day, you know, in the, in the way that we might imagine the spiritual life would be. Something had to be done. We were next in line to do it, and we were having a really good time doing it. Um, I'm, everybody's faults, everybody's virtues, generally speaking, are their faults taken to an extreme. Um, I'm a very enthusiastic person. I love just getting engaged, and sometimes I get way enthusiastic and way too engaged. And I remember Swamiji rarely encouraged me to work more, but often encouraged me to pull myself to a focus. And he said to me once, he said, you won't do more good by simply doing more. And he says, because if your magnetism is not dynamic and positive, and if the, the result of the energy you're putting out is not so much the things that you're moving around on this planet, but is the total field of energy that you're generating. Moving things around in this planet is just the way that we generate a field of energy. But if the consciousness behind it does not create the right kind of magnetism, you won't end up doing more good. And for my own life ever since then, that's always been my motto. As soon as I feel that whatever I'm doing is no longer generating the right kind of magnetism, I know that's time to quit, regardless of what it is, and, and get the magnetism fixed, whether that's quitting for a minute, for a day, for a week, whatever it might be. Well, I was remembering some of the early experiences that we had with magnetism. Actually, I'm going to skip ahead a lot farther. Um, no. We were, Swami and I were in Houston, Texas once together um, in the early, in the mid-70s. And it was coming up to Spiritual Renewal Week. And every year, Spiritual Renewal Week would come, like now. And Swami would announce, I think we're going to have about 200 people at Spiritual Renewal Week this year. And almost to a man, everyone in the community would say, yeah, sure, Swami. And the usual 30 or 40 would come. And it was just like this sort of game that we would play. And we were in Houston, and we were talking about prosperity. And I asked him, I said, Swamiji, what is the secret of prosperity? He gave me a one-word answer I've always remembered. Creativity, he said. 
He said prosperity is the determination to just keep trying until something finally works. And if this doesn't work, then I try the next thing. And if that doesn't work, I try the next thing. And as long as we don't quit, and as long as we keep our magnetism in the way that the men before me have described, we just keep going until it finally succeeds. And then we were talking in the context of spiritual renewing, and Swami just looked at me. He's no fool. He says, I know perfectly well we're not going to have 250 people for spiritual renewal week, but if I didn't say we were going to have 250, we wouldn't even have 30. <laughs> because his energy would put out this magnetism and we would do our very best to make sure that he didn't get carried away, you know, that he still understood all the limitations we were dealing with. During those early years, I would often say to myself, everything I know about life, I learned from this man. So the chances are that he also knows this. He's very intelligent. So he probably has all the facts at his disposal. And if he still says there's going to be 250, I think he's saying something. I think it's I who don't know something. And that was why I asked him that question directly. You know, what are you thinking here? Many years later, and I know now we're in the very last stages of finishing off the karma that was created by the lawsuits that came to us in 1990, and we're almost at the end of that final end of that karma, which has been a huge thing for our community. And I was remembering in the middle of the Bertolucci lawsuit, which was the, the second lawsuit, which was the character assassination lawsuit, that if we can't win by law, we'll just win by creating such a mess that Ananda will be destroyed by all of that anyway. It was, uh, as I said to David in the middle of it, it's nice that I've had other years on the spiritual path than these. <laughs> <laughs> and I deeply admired anyone who arrived in the middle of that because it was a different experience than the years we'd had before. And the final, next to the final, the trial for that particular lawsuit, which went all the way to a jury trial, happened right in our front yard. It was just right up the street. And there was a local rag that was a free rag that was just starting and made its reputation on the basis of this big trial and the scandal that was happening right in Palo Alto. And so every morning, we'd go out to get the free paper to see what they were saying about us and whether we'd made the front page or the second page, you know, the search for Swami's treasure, Swami's harem, Swami's this, Swami's that. And then they would just, the photographers would sit there and they would, you know, everybody's face doesn't always look attractive. And they would wait until his face looked as awful as it could look. I mean, the worst pictures ever taken of Swami appeared in that newspaper. It was, it was a nightmare, just a living nightmare. Fortunately, as we would say to ourselves, in Dwapara Yuga, all you lose is money, property, and your reputation. <laughs> in Kali Yuga, they would put us in prison. And we were always happy that we could go out to lunch and then come home again at night. And, and every morning during the trial time, every morning, this is how I remember it. Maybe some of you who are there have a different picture. We all pick out what's meaningful to us. We'd meet around our dining room table, and we'd have breakfast before we'd all sail off to court. You know, it's like, OK, let's go to hell today. This will be fun. <laughs> and every morning, we laughed a lot, actually. Every morning, Swami would say something like, well, you know, I think today the tide's going to turn. I think juror number eight is really looking sympathetic. Don't you think so? You know, and the day before had been just unbelievably awful, and we knew today was going to be worse. And, and somehow, maybe I'm speaking only for myself, I always felt the necessity to correct him. 
I don't really think so, Thur. I think jury number eight is as mad as he ever was, you know? <laughs> and we did that. I did that day after day after day after day. And finally, I mean, how? how anyway, finally, at the very end, it crossed my mind, he's trying to generate positive magnetism. <laughs> he knows that juror number eight is as negative as he ever was, and the judge is not going to be any nicer today. But what hope do we have unless we generate some magnetism? So like, I think it was almost the last day when he started saying how everything was going to go well that day. I said, yes, very well, like this. You know, and it was like, even as I said it, it was like, what am I saying? <laughs> but I, I remembered the teachings. Wow, this world is just energy. It's just magnetism. And the facts are created not by physical things, but the facts are created first by thoughts and by magnetism. Well, as you all may know, it all went, that case went really terrible for us in many, many ways. As Swamiji said to us, the law of averages says that at least some things will go in your favor. So when absolutely nothing goes your way, you know Divine Mother is running the show. <laughs> and that was for us the opportunity in, in an external way to be completely defeated and see if it made any difference at all, which of course it didn't make any difference at all. Later on, I, I was speaking to Swami you know, a year or two later, and I sort of ran that whole scenario in front of him. So this is what I began to perceive. And I said, at the same time, Swamiji, in the midst of that experience where we were being challenged in such a very, very difficult way and negative things were being said and people had to go really deep inside themselves. I mean, the accusations were so big against us that it was like you couldn't even actually defend yourself. When people would come and sort of say, what about this and what about this? I would generally say back, I'd give them all the facts they wanted, but I would generally say back, I don't know, what do you think? You know, are women second-class citizens in this community? What's your impression? You know? Do you think that the leaders here are just power-hungry? Do you think that all the money that you're giving is being used just for self-aggrandizement? I mean, what do you think? Because if I was only persuading someone, then the next time somebody else came who was more persuasive, they'd go away from it anyway. It was like, this is a great opportunity to find out if you were the only Christian in the world, would you still be a Christian? You know, why do you believe that Ananda is your path? Why do you believe that Swami is a divine messenger? And it was just great fun. I mean, great fun in a terrible way. <laughs> because that's what you got to find out. Why do I really feel this way? What is the foundation of my life? And when I... and. In the course of trying to pass that very, very challenging test, people dealt with it in lots of different ways. And one of the ways people would deal with it is to just try to be real positive. Oh, and they would say the same sorts of things. So I said, oh, yeah, I think everything's really going to go well today. Right. This isn't really so bad. You know, they're kind of attacking us. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> and I said, sir, you know, sometimes I think, he, he said to me that, he said, sometimes you can be negative, he said to me. I said, negative, I never think of myself that way. And this is what he said, because you're so factual. <laughs> the difference between truth and fact. And I said, well, sir, sometimes I do that because I don't like that what is actually, I believe, a, a, an unwillingness to courageously face what is. And so there's a desire to make what is a little less icky. But it isn't the same as true positive magnetism in the face of challenge, 
It's way before that. And so I was saying to him that I, be, I began to understand that our little um, ritual at the breakfast table. Now bear in mind, something like that with Swami can pass in a flash because what he tends to do is he'll, he'll test the energy and then depending on the response he gets, he, he never tries to overwhelm us with his energy. He'll just float a thought out there and see what the response is and if there's no response, he withdraws it again. He's so the opposite of the domineering leader that he was accused of being. But in any case, I said, and I felt, sir, every time you were just trying to generate positive magnetism. He said, yes. And every time, being so factual, speaking of myself, I was determined to not let it get a toehold. Yes, he said. <laughs> and then I spoke to him about my overreaction to what I just described to you. And then very sweetly, but very firmly, he said, yes, it's a fine line. You have to be very careful. You know, he's always taking what we think we know and then taking it just a little farther. Now, since I'm into the lawsuit, I'll tell another story that really almost no one knows because I have never been able to figure out a way to write this. And I rarely tell it, so I'll tell it. I hope it's okay. Um, in the end, the jury voted against us, and we were de de declared despicable, basically. Many years later, I had to testify in a completely unrelated lawsuit, unrelated entirely to this, but they tried to undermine me by bringing up the lawsuits that we had been in, the SRF lawsuit and the Bertolucci lawsuit. The judge said to me, and I was prepared for it, the judge said to me, I understand your church was under litigation too. I said, yes, there were basically two lawsuits, and what was the result of those? Well, one we won, and the other one we were declared despicable. She said, pardon me? I said, <laughs> I said the jury ruled that we were despicable. <laughs> I mean, that's what the jury ruled. It doesn't have anything to do with us. That's just what the jury ruled. But the jury ruled that we were despicable in pretty much every way. I mean, you can parse it apart, and it doesn't come out that bad, but in essence, that's what happened. And so that verdict came down on toward the end of the week, and we were exhausted. I mean, I cannot even begin to describe how exhausted we were. I think Swami flew off for Italy that very day, if I'm not mistaken. The people from Ananda Village just crawled home. Those of us in Palo Alto just collapsed like that. Sunday morning, I get a call from Swamiji. He says, close every Ananda department all over the United States, get everybody in the United States who's part of Ananda, including the children, down to the courthouse when it opens tomorrow morning and protest. <laughs> and to my everlasting shame, I couldn't go there. I just couldn't go there. And as soon as he saw that I couldn't go there, he said, oh, well, it was just an idea. <laughs> but it wasn't just an idea. And about an hour later, I got myself together enough, and I tried to contact people. But it was just, it, we just couldn't do it. We couldn't meet that challenge. But I often ask myself, what if we had? You know, what if we had? What if, even in the midst of so much confusion, we had been able to say what we now say? It's just taken us a little more time to get there. You know, how dare you? How dare you do that to us? And so I always remember. M months later, 
a small group of us did go and demonstrate. And it had a huge positive effect on those of us who did it. But it was better than nothing. But it's always something to remember, you know, where is my magnetism? There were so many good reasons not to do that. I mean, I was in them. I was in those good reasons. There were so many good reasons. There was so much jeopardy. We hadn't been sentenced yet. There was, there were, you know, there was a thousand good reasons not to do, do it. But what if we had, you know? Now we're meeting it by paying off the karma. Now we're meeting it by just standing up. We're, we're doing it. We've done it since then. You know, we can only do what we can do. But we must remember what we might have done and what we will do at some future time. You know, magnetism is everything. We must not be negative by being too factual. <laughs> I remember a meeting in the 80s sometime. Swamiji wanted us to, to put our energy behind building a big temple. That was the temple that was going to be built over here. It was a meeting of the Yoga Fellowship or something like that. I don't remember what group it was. And he got up in, in the morning of that meeting and he said, let's put our energy together and build this temple. And we were just, you know, sure, let's build a temple like this. And then somehow over lunch, there were a lot of facts that made it a difficult idea. And he came back after lunch and he said, well, certain objections have been raised to building this temple. And I have notes on this, which is what's interesting to me. I was reading the notes. And we all said, yeah, those are problems. <laughs> and when he heard us say, yeah, those are problems, he just withdrew. But I, I, again, I always think, what if? What if when he says, we're going to have 250 people for Spiritual Renewal Week, this book is going to be the bestseller, this one is the one that's going to put us on the map, instead of being so, yeah. We actually were able to find a way to put our magnetism behind it. Now, I want to talk about another very subtle aspect of magnetism, which I lived through very recently. Um, you know, this is all SRF-related at this point. Swami wrote the book, um, Master for the World, which came out, you know, and it was sort of one more round of the whole story about SRF and the whole need for us to establish ourselves and so on. And then Swamiji said to uh, us in Palo Alto, we're the, we're the shock troops, as it were, <laughs> I'd like you to do a demonstration at the SRF churches and pass out information about this book. Okay. <laughs> you know, we had gone to the convocation in around 2000 and had a really fantastic adventure that had marvelous magnetism, I believe, and helped bring that case to a conclusion, and we knew how to do this. So we got our guys together and we were doing it. It wasn't a universally popular idea, you might well imagine. Not everyone at Ananda really enjoys that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> And so I was doing it because he asked me. And I was doing it because it temperamentally suits me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when I should, I mean, I have to say this just very honestly, we all have our roles. When there was mediation, I was in half of one mediation meeting and Swami never let me go again, never. <laughs> you know, I'm a disaster in mediation. But shock troops, that's where I shine. <laughs> but I was doing it because he asked me. And you know, there's a certain um, almost pride as a disciple. He asked me, I'll do it. 
And I was kind of hiding behind that. So if other people didn't want it, thought it was a bad idea, I didn't really have to answer them. I could just say, well, he asked me, so I'm doing it. But I was in a retreat, and I really started thinking about that. And I thought, how cowardly. And what kind of magnetism will I have if I'm just doing it because he asked me? You know, where, where am I in that? Yes, we only ever want to do anything because God asks us to. And if we feel that the divine has changed his mind, we need to be able to drop it in a heartbeat because that's the only thing we're interested in. But once God has asked us to do it, we won't have any magnetism unless we have also given our heart to it with intelligent understanding one way or another. When Swami Kriyananda first uh, moved David and I to the Palo Alto community, um, which is now more than 25 years, 1987, he still lived in this community. And I had had the opportunity, our house was, the, the Crystal Hermitage guest house was very close to him. I had a lot of individual contact, less than I'd had in earlier years, but still much more than I was going to have when I moved to Palo Alto. But he asked us to. I knew it was right. We did it. But for two years, every time he would come to visit, I would just weep. And then when he would leave, I would just weep. And when I would see other people leaving with him, I would weep. I can almost cry about it now, amazing how the pains of the heart are like that. And then once he was safely out of my world, you know, I could function again. But every time I was reminded, you know, we would rarely come up here. It was just too painful. And about two years went on like that. And then one day I said, you're where God wants you to be. You think if you pick yourself up out of your own preferences and put yourself somewhere else, you'll feel better? Like, I don't think so. So instead of, he asked me to do it, it's this is mine to do. And I, I didn't, I was still sad, but I didn't cry. You know, you, 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 make, you make what little steps you can, right? <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to take you know, uh, Master for the World with some of our uh, Palo Alto trained troops because that, you know, that's our little, little group. We go, we're going to head down there and do this, but I'm only doing it because he asked me. So I'm sitting there in this retreat, and I'm just suddenly conscious of why Swami might ask. You know, why would he really ask? I've been as close to this SRF situation, honestly, as I think anybody could be. And I've disputed with Swami over it from the very beginning. We just forget them, sir. Who cares? Who needs them? And piece by piece, he's won me to it. But all of a sudden, I just really saw it. You know, there, um, Self-Realization Fellowship was founded by Paramahansa Yogananda. Everything else is extra. And even that man who wrote the book, as I understand it, I haven't read it, the American Veda book, you know, the work is what Yogananda founded, and then disciples have done other things. And SRF sits there with this whole presumption of authority, which everybody feels. And Swami Kriyananda keeps saying to us, not for the present, not for the success of Ananda, you know, not for his own personal emotional vindication or whatever it might be, but for the future of the work. That's what he finally said to me in the 1970s. Asha, I'm not thinking of the present. I'm thinking of the generations. Oh, yeah, that's right. You have a bigger view. I get it. 
but I really heard it. I really understood it, and I wrote him an apology. I said, I've supported you very energetically all this time, but always in my heart I was hoping you would just quit. I said, but now I really get it. You know, that's where magnetism comes from. It's not just doing the right thing, but really finding within yourself a full way to embrace it. Sometimes you can't embrace even exactly what you're doing, but you embrace something that takes away all that resistance, all that that sends your energy and all those facts that take you in so many different directions. And we went and, you know, we had a great time. We drove down. Dharmaraj hosted us beautifully at the ashram. We all marched out to the SRF churches and then we came home. I mean, it was just like a little blip on the radar screen. What was the big deal about this? Did we do any good? I don't know. We did a tremendous amount of good for ourselves, and I feel like we stood up for what was true. And if the whole thing was just for me, I'm really, really grateful. I mean, many times things are just for us, you know, just for us alone. I'm going to go back now to uh, 1976, when we were trying to put our first master plan through here. I mean, I know now that we're in this other master plan, whatever that is, wherever the poor souls are who's working through that. <laughs> I can tell by your burdened shoulders wherever you are in this group. And uh, that was really the beginning of our serious relationship with the county, and they were not cooperating. And the, the woman who was in charge of the planning department at that time had risen from being a secretary to being the planning director. And it was kind of an old boy network there, and, her, and it, it was all working fine because it was just a little tiny pond. Nevada County hadn't begun what it's gotten into, and they all just ran it the way they wanted to, and then there we were. And the first time we went in to talk to this woman, we sat in her office and we explained. I'm sure Jyotish was there, probably Davy and myself. I know Swamiji. I don't know who else was in the room. And we explained who we were in a very cheerful manner, and she reached up to a textbook off the wall and opened it up and said, so you're a condominium. A condominium? You know, I mean, like we were hard, we were just a dirt farm. We were no condominium. <laughs> but that was the beginning. And it just went on and on and on. You know, this plan was too detailed. This one wasn't detailed enough. This was wrong. That was wrong. You know, bureaucrats can just say no. And they just say no. And there was this very big man and it, we got the feeling, I think Jotish described it, that the man took whatever we filed and he sat on it. And he was like about 250 or 300 pounds and he just sat on it and there was nothing we could do. <laughs> Swami's perception, and he was the only one among us who had this perception, was that we would never ever get anywhere until we got rid of that woman in her position. It wasn't everybody's perception, but that was his perception. He, he skipped way ahead, he went, he went way ahead of the facts we were working with, and he saw the energy trend, and he knew we had to make a shift. She had already been condemned by the grand jury, and it had been recommended that she was incompetent and be fired, but that report too, somebody was sitting on it. <laughs> so it was 1976, and Swami Kriyananda decided to form the Bicentennial Liberty Committee, and we went politically active. And he was Donald Walters, and my name was Nan Savage, that was actually my name. That was my name, Nan Savage. <laughs> Wasn't that a great name for a political activist? <laughs> and we just went out, not as Ananda, but we formed the Bicentennial Liberty Committee. This idea at Ananda went over like a lead balloon. You know, he, when he said we were going to form the Bicentennial Liberty Committee and get this person fired, and we were going to take petitions 
endorsing the American way of life and stand outside of Kmart and Safeway and SPD and get thousands of signatures and take them to the supervisors. 1976, I mean, we're just living out here, cut off from everything, and all of a sudden he's trying to get us to do this. Nobody would do it, just nobody, nothing. And he, 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 without mentioning my name, he writes about me in the Material Success Course in how to work with people. You find what motivates people and you motivate them according to what they will be moved by. He presented the whole thing to me as a big joke because he knew I had a good sense of humor and that a, a goofy lark like this would be just my cup of tea. This was the beginning, you know, of going down to SRF last November. And I said, what the heck, you know? I didn't have the foggiest idea what we were doing, but I was certain that he did. And in that case, I was younger. I didn't need to know. It was training in giving my whole heart to something because he thought it was a good idea. And you know, I, I can get people enthusiastic and pretty soon we had a few dozen of us standing out the Safeway collecting thousands of signatures. And, and then we created this whole thing over the course of the summer. And he's telling me, you know, write letters to the editor about the sheriff, about the building department. And I would ask him, how nasty? Medium nasty, he would say. <laughs> and so there'd be another letter from Nan Savage, who was secretary of the BLC, you know, <laughs> in the Grass Valley Union, talking about the building inspectors and how the codes weren't fair and just all this stuff that he was just handing me. And he was, you know, he was just pulling all the strings from the back as Donald Walters. Basically what happened is we created this huge brouhaha. We got all of these signatures. We got all these editorials in the little paper and the woman got fired. And a very competent man came in. Maybe she would have been fired anyway. There's, everybody has a different opinion. But a very competent man came in, said, okay, let's get this plan done. It's Swami's belief and I concur with him that we, it never would have happened if we hadn't pushed that. You know, finally, Nan Savage of the BLC goes up there and presents to the supervisors these thousands of names and how irate everyone is. And then they wanted me to run for county supervisor. <laughs> well, I said, sir, do I have to? I mean, I just thought, oh, bored, dumb, die of boredom. No, he said, and it was so sweet. We aren't looking for power here. He said, we don't need political power. He said, we just needed to extricate ourselves from the situation, and now that we've done it, we can just go home. Isn't that marvelous? You know, that's magnetism. We don't really always know what we're doing. And, you know, as we get older, as we have these experiences, as we get on board with situations that we don't quite understand ourselves, but we try to do with our whole heart, Energy has its own intelligence, just as Bharat was saying. It all comes from the inside out. And when we are willing, with a little bit of courage and a little bit of creativity and a great deal of willingness to say, well, who cares, it's just a dream anyway, you know, we'll just try to make it happen. And when we try to make it happen with magnetism, if we try to make it happen with just money or, you know, just willpower or just manipulating or anything like that, it won't happen. I remember there's a story in my book of this man came to, the book I wrote about Swami. There's a, a story of a man came to Swami who was working in a leadership position, said he'd you know, read this thought that if you're gonna, if you have to criticize someone, tell them a few good things about themselves before you lower the boom. Swami's answer was so sincere. 
but that's so manipulative, he said. Now, of course, any heart-filled person will do that anyway. But Swami said, that's so manipulative. And then he answered, and anyone sensitive will see through it right away. But of course, the idea was there. The idea is there is reach out with your heart to people. Love them first. Because once you love people first, then the magnetism is there and really basically anything can happen. And that's how Swami has won all of us all these years. And insofar as we are able, he's the instrument for master, and as we are able to be his instrument, master's instrument through him, you know, when we do it his way, it works, and when we don't, it don't. Because he's always moving it with magnetism. And the, the sooner and the more deeply and the more wholeheartedly we begin to live our own lives in that reality, the more we will fulfill exactly what Bharat and Dharmaraj were talking about. Why not? Jivan Mukta, why not? Why not become free? The door is right there. The, the footsteps to the gates of freedom are in the sand right in front of us. All we have to do is walk in them. God bless you.